I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. I define self-care as meeting yourself with compassionate presence in the moment here as it finds you. It's not about like buying more stuff that you probably don't need. It's not about putting more stuff on your to-do list or your calendar. Sustainable self-care is how much can you slow down and meet your real actual needs as they are. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 474 with guest Christy Tending. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. I am getting ready to go to Asheville tomorrow to host a Daring Way retreat for some amazing women. And it got me thinking that I probably forgot to tell you that I have brought back the Daring Way curriculum to my one-on-one coaching practice. So if you know Brene Brown's work, if you caught her HBO special on her latest book, Atlas of the Heart, or if you read the book, or if you got her, if you caught her Netflix Call to Courage special, or if you're just familiar with her TED Talks, you might want to come and check it out, especially if you are someone who likes to do work privately one-on-one. Maybe groups just aren't your thing yet, and you were hesitant to come with us on the retreat. So if you go to andreaowen.com slash coaching, you'll see that that page is there that tells you a little bit about what the objectives are, what your takeaways will be, and an opportunity to fill out an application and um, maybe have a chat with me. I also offer coaching, which I just call open sessions, where you bring your primary focus and we get to work. We get to work. And I have two lead coaches that also do that kind of coaching, Liz and Sabrina, who may be a better fit for you. But speaking of doing the work, we are continuing on with our self-care theme, and I just love this theme. I, I, You know, you guys know, I just love personal development. Um, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan, and I know that you are too. 
Christy Tending is here, and I think I found her on Instagram, not on TikTok. Maybe I did find her on TikTok. I can't remember. <laughs> I probably did. Somewhere on social media, I found her, and she specializes in self-care, so I knew I had to have her on. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Christy Tending is an activist, educator, and writer. She teaches online courses about sustainable self-care to students all over the world and hosts the podcast, Tending Your Life. Her specialty is helping people dissolve overwhelm, heal burnout, and advocate for themselves. She lives on occupied Ohon territory, which is Oakland, California, with her family. You can learn more about her work at christytending.com, so without Further ado, here is Christy. Christy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. I am too. And I I saw your website and immediately from your homepage, I was like, I have to, I have to have this woman on. <laughs> yes, a hundred times yes. And I, I know you talk about a handful of of topics. So I, I might jump around with my questions a little bit, but I want to start with can you tell us what you mean by what you call sustainable self-care? Because I feel like self-care is this word that's been kind of a buzzword in the self-help industry over the last few years. So what do you mean by sustainable self-care and how does one practice that in their life? Sure. So I noticed in my own life, so I came to self-care out of I would say probably what could be construed as like a mental health crisis. I was dealing with depression and PTSD and I'd been an activist for a bunch of years and was really, I was, I was struggling big time. I was also dealing with a lot of chronic pain issues. So I came to kind of my self-care journey, if you want to call it that really from this kind of crisis point of like, I can't continue to live my life the way I've been living my life. Uh, and and be okay. So I, went, I don't think is very uncommon for women. Like I think that we can tolerate a lot before we sort of decide like, oh my gosh, I need to help myself. No, we're really good at waiting until the last possible moment to like right. give ourselves that life raft. And so I dove into like yoga and meditation and, you know, doing all of these things for myself, you know, eating a certain way and living a certain way and spending my time in certain ways. And what I realized in my self-care practice was that I was replicating the same kind of overwork, overachieving, um, like almost like hoarding mentality that I'd had in the overwork that had led me to self-care in the first place. And I think that- So you were adding more things to your to-do list? I was just like adding things to my to-do list. And what I realized was I needed to be subtracting. And so I define self-care as meeting yourself with compassionate presence in the moment here as it finds you. It's not about like buying more stuff that you probably don't need. It's not about putting more stuff on your to-do list or your calendar, which none of us need that Mm -hmm. (laughs) in this, Mm -hmm. the year of our pandemic. (laughs) Right, right. I'm raising my hand over here. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's... It's really about, to me, sustainable self-care is how much can you slow down and meet your real actual needs as they are and not fill it up with more stuff. And I'm, I'm really good at like filling up my life with all kinds of projects and to do's and classes and all of that. 
And really when I'm practicing a self-care, it's about like, how slow can I be? How much can I subtract? How much can I focus on this moment right here and being with myself and my own needs in that moment? Wow. I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but I imagine there's people listening to this who are listening to this going, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I agree with you. And then also there's still a part of me at the same time that feels like my fists are, are clenching together. Like, oh my gosh, what would that, like our self-worth I think is so wrapped up in our productivity yeah. that it might seem counterintuitive, but and this is something that I talk about in my next book that's coming out. My friend Elizabeth Dialto asks the question, what is our conditioning and what is our truth? And so it sounds to me that you're asking people, and I love the term compassionate presence. Is that what you called it? Yeah. That like, that's your truth telling you to pull things back and actually you've been conditioned to add things on. Right. I mean, I think it's this capitalist kind of mentality of my productivity is my worth. My achievement is my worth. The more stuff I buy, the more successful I am. And and really, to me, self-care is about how much can we, as you say, kind of like strip away that conditioning and get back to who am I really? And what do I really need? If I slow down long enough to actually hear my real needs, what are they? Okay. So what does, which brings me to my, um, I wanted to kind of give it like a second, second part of this question. Now that you just said that, and I know that you work with, with women who's on this specific topic, what do you find is the thing that they discover it is that they need? Honestly, most people want the time and the space and the quiet to hear their own voices. I work with a lot of, I work with a lot of activists like me, not a huge surprise. Um, It's a little bit of a, like, if you build it, they will come kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. And, and I also work with a lot of caregivers. So a lot of what you know, we now call kind of frontline workers. I work with a lot Mm -hmm. of nurses and social workers and teachers and, and people whose caring is really kind of their currency in the world. I work with a lot of parents who are caring for their children. I work with a lot of people who's, who are caring for their parents. Um, And, and really, really what they want is some kind of time and space to hear their own needs kind of beyond that conditioning beyond that narrative that they've been fed that their worth is wrapped up in how much can they care for other people Mm -hmm. it's it's discovering that that thing that they really want even if it's really inconvenient for everybody else. And I've yeah. been I've been kind of messing around with this idea lately of like how inconvenient could I be? Like before the wheels really come off this thing. Because I think so many of us, like so many women are conditioned to be as accommodating and nurturing and convenient um 
for people around us. And the question that I'm really messing around with is like, how much can I interrupt that convenience? Yeah. How much can, how much can I get what I want, even if it isn't, you know, on everybody else's, you know, timetable and schedule and, you know, how much can I not wait until everybody else is taken care of before I meet my own needs? Which can feel radical too. Oh, it, it, it is absolutely radical. Yeah. It doesn't just feel radical. It is radical. Like the it feeling. <laughs> yes. And I love this so much. I've been, I've been talking ad nauseum to my audience about my own therapy journey. So I hired a new therapist I don't remember when it was. It was it was not that long after COVID hit. And, you know, I think a lot of us were kind of faced with our own shit. And I dove in headfirst to in trauma therapy. And one of the things that I kind of already knew was a little bit of a subconscious belief was that I am a quote unquote difficult woman. Mm. Um, and my ex-husband made me feel this way. And I just made up that I was super difficult and just, and difficult to be married to difficult to be a friend of just all around difficult. And what I have come to realize and still like I struggle you know, if I have to email a contractor or something and say like, Hey, I'm not happy with how things are going. Like, I'm like, Oh, I don't want, I don't want her to think that I'm being a diva, like that type of thing. Right. And it's, it's, it's so interesting to dig into this. And when you take like a few giant steps back and look at the big picture, I'm really not like, <laughs> no, <laughs> can I be a pain in the ass sometimes? Sure. We all can, but it, it's really just about asking for, to get my needs met. Like that's at the end of the day in simple terms, that's all it is. It was an absolute stunning shock to me. I, so I used to talk a lot kind of jokingly about how self-care is not all bubble baths and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then after my son was born, what I realized is the thing that feels really good for my body. I have scoliosis. And so I deal with a lot of chronic pain stuff. The thing that feels really good for my body at the end of the day is like a really hot bath. I was like so embarrassed to discover this as the person who'd been preaching against bubble baths for all these years. It was like so humiliating to have to like come out to my audience (laughs) as like a bubble bath devotee. (laughs) But what I was most shocked to discover was like, I was able to take a bubble bath, not like once in a blue moon, not once in a while, not once a month, almost every single night. And nobody in my house has died from this yet. Right. It was unbelievable to me. I was like, wait you're all surviving this. Amazing. What yeah, else could I do? And it made me curious, like wh- how, how else, how far can I push this? What else can I get away with? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> when it's just you taking care of yourself. Okay. Right. I love this conversation. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash noise to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash noise. There's definitely been times in my life where my paycheck ran out before I got paid again, and I wish I could have accessed my next paycheck a few days before I was due to get it. Well, what if I told you that can happen with Earnin? Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for anything you need to, therapy visits, rent, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I'm, I'm also curious because you mentioned about being an activist. So tell us about your activist journey and how that's informed the work that you do currently. Yeah. So I, I have always been a giant hippie. Um, I grew up horseback riding and loved being outside, loved being in the country and you know, I loved the earth. Like I loved, you know, riding my horse and watching the sunset and riding home in the dark. And, you know, I just, I love, I love the earth. I love our planet. I love the beauty. There's a hummingbird that's nesting outside our dining room window right now. And this Mm -hmm. has been like the focal point of my household for like the last (laughs) two weeks. This gives you like some kind of insight into, into like what inspires me. And so it's not a huge shock that I became an environmental justice activist. And I got started with kind of human rights activism and environmental activism in high school. And then, you know, that kind of took off when I was in college and I became an organizer and a trainer. And I've now been working with kind of the same core group of people um, here in the Bay area for the last think it's been almost 15 years, um, which is pretty amazing. And, and really my activism is, is looking at kind of the intersection of climate change and indigenous rights. So looking at pipelines and infrastructure projects that are impacting them and, and land rights and all of those things. I actually lived in, in an indigenous community the summer after college. And what I realized that kind of, that really shaped my activist journey was just how emotionally invested I get in this. It's not, um, it's not just that I like to stir up trouble, which I do. And it's Mm -hmm. not just that I have this very specific kind of theory of change, which I do, but it's that for me, I have this vision of the future 
that I feel so passionate about kind of collectively moving us towards that, that I get really emotionally wrapped up in this. And so it does, it, it takes a lot of emotional energy for me. And, you know, I think one of the things that I discovered, I read this really amazing book called Trauma Stewardship that talks about burnout and talks about compassion fatigue and secondary trauma and all of these things. And the whole time I'm reading the book, I'm just like, I'm checking all the boxes. Yeah. As somebody who, you know, is not just there to win or to be right, but really wants to create this vision for the future. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of my mentors is a woman named Adrienne Marie Brown, and she talks a lot about kind of the power of visionary imagination to kind of bring people along um, an activist path. And I have that like really in spades, like the things that I want in this world, I can like, I can almost taste them because I'm so, I'm so excited by the possibility of living in a world where people are free, living in a world where, you know, we're not facing climate disaster after climate disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so I do have to be really kind of cautious with my energy now I I love I still love taking risks even as a parent. I'm all about taking risks for the future that you want, but I also have to be kind of cautious about my energy of what am I kind of splashing out there and who am I doing it with and making sure that I'm balancing that with a lot of care and rest and and nourishment and resourcing myself. Yes. I, I love, and I just, I thank you for talking about your activism and being so transparent about what that, what it looks like for you from the inside. And I do, I just don't think that there's any accidents about what we're here to do. Um, I think people get, and this is just a side note. I think people get caught up in their purpose Mm-hmm. And people feel bad and beat themselves up, like, oh, I don't have that purpose like Christy does. And don't I don't feel as called to do, you know, environmental activism. And what's my purpose? What's my purpose? I also, just as a side note, want to tell people your path is your purpose. You know, just having the path and the self-development journey that you're on is many people's purpose. That being said, I love that you talked about how important self-care is in this work. And compassion fatigue very much is a thing, whether you are in a helping profession or not. And I just think some people are wired that way where some people can compartmentalize easier than others. And then there are those of us who um, just, you know, we hear people's stories, whether it's a collective story of a certain group of people, or it is individual stories. Like, I mean, I have one friend who gets so taken out, like her hair starts falling out and she is taken out for weeks. So she has very much had to, had to learn like what she can and cannot take on. And it's, it's so fascinating how it, it varies from person to person, but like we cannot, and I'm sure people have heard this so many times, but we cannot fill other people's cup up if ours is empty, just can't. Well, and there's a reason why I don't work in the in the nonprofit world anymore. I I've had a number of, you know, nine to five jobs in my career where I was working at environmental or human rights nonprofits. And I love the work. 
And at the same time, I don't want my income to be contingent on my ability to perform that work from nine to five, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and so that's the other thing that I would say is that if you are called to activist work or to helping work in any way, don't get caught up in this belief that it has to be your career. There are lots of ways to do this that don't rely on you making this, like to tying this to your own personal survival. <laughs> like it can be a hobby. You mean like, <laughs> well, it, not that it's necessarily, not that it's necessarily a hobby, but it's not something that you have to rely on in order to like have health insurance and a house. Okay. You know, it yeah. can be something yeah. that you volunteer on weekends or mm-hmm. you do things after work or whatever it is, but it, yeah. Or if you have no time, then you donate money if you can. And yeah. Right. Or you share on social media or you take the time to educate yourself or you have these conversations in your own life with your kids, with your parents, with your friends, you know, you're, you're, you can still be kind of working these things out in your own life without tying your career to it. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I, and I want to, just go, circle back a little bit to what we were talking about before. And um, can you talk to us about what is the difference between self-advocacy and self-care? And when might we need to practice self-advocacy instead of self-care? So self-advocacy was this phrase that popped into my head in the shower. Again, I'm all about the hot water. Everything good happens to me in hot water. <laughs> so I, my son was maybe eight months old. And I was like super burned out and I'm standing in the shower and I'm thinking to myself, I am literally a self-care coach and I massively do not have my shit together. Like I'm, I'm, I was struggling so immensely. And, you know, what occurred to me is like all of these self-care practices that I had been relying on were either you know, not available, not possible, or like not working, frankly, mm-hmm. after having my son. And I realized that what I needed was not in fact self-care, but it was what I came to call self-advocacy. And what I've also realized is that the people I know in my life who are kind of the fiercest advocates, the fiercest activists for other people are the ones who are truly terrible at advocating for themselves in their own lives. Like they will chain themselves to a tree. They will blockade a road. They will do all kinds of daring, dangerous stuff in order to, you know, stand up for a cause, but they're not having kind of those honest conversations in their own lives. And they're not, Mm -hmm. they're not standing up for themselves and what they need. And so to me, self-advocacy is, is sort of the relational piece of self-care. It's how do we talk to the people in our lives about this is not working, whether it's, you know, at your day job, having a conversation with your boss of like, I am overworked and I am on the verge of burnout and we need to shift things. Mm -hmm. Having a conversation with your spouse of like, I need some me time, friends. I love you to pieces, but I need, you know, some dedicated time by myself that's how the bath taking came about, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but but being able to 
kind of stand up for your own needs proactively, not just caring for yourself and kind of recuperating afterwards, but being a little bit more proactive in terms of setting up your life in a way that is inherently um, inherently feels caring and inherently feels like something that's resourcing you. I love that. And thank you for differentiating that. And it reminds me of, I, I coach people here on the podcast every once in a while, and I had someone that came on. We'll drop that link in the show notes. And the conversation started out with, she wanted to figure out how to have more time to have more self-care and like mm-hmm. do these things for herself and prioritize herself. And what what the, what the we ended up figuring out, or I should say, you know, what I, end, what I got out of her is that she wasn't having a conversation with her partner about him helping her more. You know, right. she was taking on the brunt of everything when they both worked full time and had two children. And so, yeah, I'm going to drop that in for anybody who, who might be struggling with that. And so you can get some, some tips on, on what to do there. You had written a piece, an article about quitting drinking, and mm-hmm. I know that you have some time under your belt and I would love for you to just kind of tell us your story. Um, you know, I have a whole recovery series on my podcast. And for those of you who might be interested in listening to those, I will drop that link in the show notes as well. I think we have about 20 or so episodes that that totally focus on that. But when I do have a guest on who has some experience here, I always love to get like when how did you come to this conclusion? Like what made you decide that you that abstinence was better for you than moderating your drinking? I spent a number of years justifying my drinking to myself and really being super clear that I was not a person with a problem. Um, I was not a person from the outside who anyone, like nobody was giving me the side eye at parties being like, she really has a problem. Um, There was no rock bottom. I was not, you know, putting my family or our finances in danger, but I have enough people in my life who have not had healthy relationships with alcohol um, in my lifetime. And it really just took one final bad hangover for me to look myself in the mirror and, and just say, enough is enough. I'm done. And, and while I, I, I've talked about this too, how I felt I expected to feel a lot of relief and like grace in recovery. And all I felt was like really pissed off for the first few months. <laughs> was, like, that was my same experience. I was just too. like in, I was like a raw nerve, except instead yeah. of like being weepy or sensitive, I was just like, I was so pissed for like the first few months of so mad about everything. Yeah. And, and really what I came to was like, I did not ask for this problem. I did not invite this. It felt in some ways like this got just like heaped in my lap. And even if it was not of my creation, it is absolutely my work to clean this up. And like, I did not ask for this, but this shit ends with me. And I decided Mm -hmm. that really for the sake of, my son, the sake of my own mental health and well-being, that I had to stop. That like mm-hmm. that that was that. And I really haven't looked back. 
Um, which is not to say that it's been an easy process for me. It's been a lot of emotional excavation to get to this place of like, yeah, I'm really okay. And this is the decision and this is where it ends. But I think that to me, the most interesting kind of piece of my story is that there was no rock bottom. There was no, like, I did not leave a trail of devastation and destruction in my wake. It was just like, I'm done hurting myself. Yeah. I'm done being in pain. Yeah. And I, I, I know from experience that that story actually is becoming more and more common. And that was my story too. It was, I did, wasn't getting the side eye either. Like maybe my mom said that she, you know, it was Christmas day and I was like starting to drink at like noon, but you know, but then she was like, well, it's Christmas day. Like there was a couple of instances where like my mom or like a friend or my husband might've been like, you're having another glass of wine, but there wasn't like, I had no DUIs. I hadn't ruined any relationships. Um, Yeah. Finances were fine. And it just, for me, I don't know if you felt this way too. I had done enough research because a lot of us, you know, are typing into Google, do I have a problem with alcohol? (laughs) (laughs) Wanting the answer. Um, Google's like, no, you're all good. Yeah, it's fine. Continue as you are. The quizzes, some of the, some of the quizzes ask you if you have with physical withdrawal symptoms, if you don't drink for a couple of days and I didn't have that either. So it's, it was very confusing because I answered like, I would get like a D minus, I'd I'd get like a 60% and I'm like, um, so I'm a D minus drunk. Like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what to do with that. So I also, I think the thing for me that sort of pushed me over the edge was that I knew, and I hated this, that I knew this, I knew that I wouldn't get better. Yeah. And that, um, that it was progressive, whether or not you think you know, identify as a quote unquote alcoholic. If you think it's a disease or not, it doesn't matter. Like research shows that if you do really have a problem with your relationship with alcohol, that we try to go back to like being able to moderate and we just, we just can't like my hat is off to anybody that can and doesn't obsess on it and doesn't give it a second thought. I wanted to be that girl <laughs> and I couldn't. Um, and I also, I had the, I had the advantage of seeing my dad get sober when I was 18 and he went through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I, I kind of knew where I was headed. Right. No, I didn't kind of, that's a lie. I absolutely knew where I was headed if I kept drinking. And um, I just, I was, I was more, I became more scared of where I would progress to versus what might happen if I tried sobriety. I've taken several classes with Masterclass on things like communication, entrepreneurship, and storytelling, and absolutely loved everyone because of their caliber of instructors and how concise the classes are. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. You can make new habits with New York Times bestselling author James Clear, improve your physical and mental well-being with leading gut health experts, or build stronger relationships with renowned psychotherapist Esther Perel. She is so amazing. I had gotten curious about how to be a better communicator, so I took the Art of Negotiation class with Chris Voss, and it helped me to do things like read body language, read speech patterns, and so much more, so I can better communicate with who you ask? My teenagers. (laughs) 
Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Andrea. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Andrea. Masterclass.com slash Andrea. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. And I, what I discovered for myself was that I was spending more and more time and energy and, you know, like brain bandwidth kind of managing it mm-hmm. with less and less effective results. A hundred percent. I could have said that exact sentence. <laughs> like, yeah. It's exhaust. It becomes exhausting and not worth it. Yeah. And, and the fact is at the end of the day, I did not want to manage my drinking. Yeah, I didn't either. Like, I, I can't. I, I can't imagine like, anything like more like boring for myself right. than having to like manage my drinking. <laughs> I wanted to be drunk, and yeah. mm-hmm. like, I don't want half a glass of wine at dinner. Like, set the bottle down and like quit treating me like a baby. And I'll just drink it straight from the bottle. Yeah. Like I wanted the results versus like to taste a really great wine that goes great with fish. Right. I don't care about that. And, and, you know, I will, I will also say that like, well, two things. First of all, when I told him that I was quitting, my husband looked at me without blinking and was like, great, I'll do it with you. And also has not had a drink in two years. Wow. That's some support. And I don't know that I would have made it without that. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is not to say that like, if your partner doesn't do that, that that means something. But for me, it was an incredibly positive thing of having somebody who was like, great, I'm in it. And, you know, we now you know, have cake whenever we have like a big sobriety <laughs> milestone, we like order ourselves a cake. But I also, you know, not my husband clearly, but there were other people in my life where if I did try to manage it or did try to moderate it, I was actually met with resistance from those people mm-hmm. who were like, why are you being like this? You're being a prude. And it, yeah. w- and it was very clear, like, I can't be managing this because I'm not getting the support there clearly what I need is just to say like, I am done. And this is no longer a conversation that we're having. Yeah. Those are hard. And I, and I want to say something to anybody who's listening who, cause I was, I was similar that my husband 
didn't drink by by choice. Um, he doesn't have addiction issues that he knows of, but he he just I think he genuinely is one of those people who's allergic to alcohol. Some of the stories he told me of drinking in his early twenties and the react the physical reactions that he was having, I'm like, oh, that sounds like awful. So he doesn't drink. And I I feel the same way. I think like if he would have been a partier and a heavy drinker, I probably wouldn't have gotten sober as quickly as I did. And it might have been much, much harder. So I say that for anyone who's listening, who is in a different scenario, who's either thinking about quitting drinking or, you know, questioning your relationship with alcohol or newly sober and is struggling because you have a partner or a friendship circle who is not being as supportive, I want to assure you that there are resources out there that that help. And I also just want to acknowledge the challenge that that is. Yeah. Um, we see you. And also there is a very, very large and welcoming community online of, of people, of women who will 100% support you. Yeah. It was it was interesting for me kind of coming out with my story and being met with all of these people who were like, me too. And now we like read each other on and are, it's a whole other level of support. Mm -hmm. And, and it really is a beautiful thing. Like some of these people I've never met in my whole life and we are still like cheering each other on for each other's sobriety. And, and what I will say is like, you know, we were talking about self-advocacy, like me saying that to my husband was probably like my biggest act of self-advocacy ever. It was like, yeah. this is the thing, this is the thing I need to do in, in order for me to like survive. And I think my yeah. husband probably also has something like alcohol sensitivity, maybe not allergy, but like alcohol sensitivity thing where like quitting drinking for him was like not a thing. He was like, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for saving yeah, me <laughs> from that. Given the reason mm-hmm, yeah. to not do it. It's it's interesting though. I mean, I could talk about this all day, but I I also want to say um I don't always love to tie it up with the pretty bow and make people think that it was like the easiest thing I ever did. And yeah. <laughs> I was the same as you. I was extremely angry and I'm like, "Oh my god, you mean I can't drink? Like I had two small children. My kids were toddlers at the time and I'm like, if there's ever a time that I deserve to drink copious amounts of wine, it's now when I have these toddlers. And I was angry and also very scared, I think to walk into my feelings without having any kind of buffer or numbing mechanism. And also my social life changed. Like it, it really did. Like it, it, it's amazing. I didn't realize how much our culture is obsessed with alcohol and how many things revolve around alcohol. And, and I, I mean, I can't be certain, but I do think there are times where I don't get invited to places because it's like Bunko and it revolves around wine and everyone's like, don't invite Andrea. She doesn't drink. And I'm like, I can still play Bunko. Like, just please have mineral water. (laughs) Even though I don't know how to play, like I'll still there and be entertaining for all of you. Um, Like I still love to socialize. Like I'm an extrovert. So please still invite me. So also everybody listening, please invite me to your parties. (laughs) I mean, as an introvert, I'm like, I didn't go to your party before and I'm probably not going to it now. I'll invite you anyway, Christy. I appreciate that. Thank you. Decline. Yes. Cause I know because my husband's an introvert and he's always like, I want to be invited. I just don't want to go. Right. I, um, I so want I'll the I want the way. option. <laughs> I want the I want the option of turning you down. 
<laughs> right, right, right. Well, I, I just, I want to, I think that, you know, we could have had this be like a three hour conversation, but we do need to wrap up. And I want to make sure that you have an opportunity if you wanted to circle back and say anything or, you know, tell everybody where they can find you. And so take it away. Like where can people find you? And is there anything else that you want to say before we close? Yeah. So you can find me and all of my writing and my podcast and courses and all sorts of fun free resources over at my website, which is christytending.com. And, you know, I think that I got this really amazing advice about sobriety on retreat right before the pandemic hit in early 2020. I went on a four day yoga and meditation retreat, which is like the smartest planning I've ever done in my life. And I was, I was talking to one of my teachers there about my sobriety and he really just gave me this beautiful advice that I think doesn't just apply to sobriety, but could apply to really any big change that you're making. He's like, you're trying to do too much. He's like, you're trying to heal your entire past and build this entirely new future for your son. And you're just, you're trying to do too much. He's like, just don't drink today. Mm -hmm. And I was like, say what now? (laughs) He's like, just today and yesterday and tomorrow, just make sure you haven't had a drink. And the rest of it will eventually work its way out. But just focus on that for right now. And I literally turned him and I was like, you're saying that I don't have to heal all of my past trauma with every single person I've ever had a relationship with and this relationship with alcohol and build this bright new future for my child all in the same day. He's like, this is what I'm saying to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that to me was, you know, one of the best teachings that I've ever gotten and really kind of ties us back to this. Just be compassionately present with yourself don't try to fix it all at the same time. Just show up for yourself and be nice. (laughs) Show up for yourself and be nice. I love that so much, Christy. Thank you so much for being here. And remember everyone, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. 
but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.